G'day, happy new year, happy holidays, happy 2023, and welcome back to a fresh new start. I've had a couple of uh, six or so weeks off and feeling refreshed and keen to kick this year off with a bang. Uh, and in order to do so, I am bringing you the lovely Holly Gawthorne. So, you, this episode, get two Australian accents. You're welcome. Uh, but Holly's going to, you may know Holly from her own podcast, which we do discuss in detail. Uh, but Holly's come to talk to you about uh, practicing OT in a rural setting and just how different and how. Uh, the challenges that, that come with practicing in an area that sometimes is hard to live in, let alone practice in. So uh, I hope you enjoy, uh, and I hope to hear from you much more in this brand new year. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. What a great question. It's my favorite question. I always love hearing everyone's um, responses to this on your pod. Um, yeah, I was always, um, sorry, my laptop's wigging out. Um, I was always keen on exercise science. That was my sort of in high school. I always knew I wanted to be in health somehow. And I did exercise science as like my year 10 work placement where yep. you go for a week. Um, and yeah, loved it. Always loved aged care. And they had like cardio rehab programs happening and with like elderly. And I was like, yeah, this is sick. I like this. So that was always the plan. And then I got in early offer to uni for exercise science down okay. in Wollongong. And so that was, yeah, got all going well. And then a week and a half before my HSC, I um, jumped off a waterfall and broke my back. And I was. What? what? Okay. It's a great story. This story it's just a took a story. turn. I was not expecting Oh, this. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I jumped off a waterfall. Um, yeah, broke my spine in three places and found myself in hospital for an extended period of time and was very well assisted by an OT to get me back to doing my HSC, doing my exams, fitted me with a with a temporary wheelchair and a brace and all this stuff. So yeah. that was my like, yeah, first experience. Never heard of OT before that, never had any sort of inkling. Um, yeah, and just that was my first experience. So thought that was pretty cool. And then I was on holidays a couple of weeks after that with my family who are all teachers. I've 98% of my family are in education in some way. And they were trying to get me, reconvince me, like, are you sure you want to exercise science? It's like, are there jobs? Why don't you be a teacher? And I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to be a teacher. Anyway, and then someone was like, oh, what about OT? And I was like, oh, yeah, the OT was sick. She helped me out, like, in hospital. And that was with, like, three hours before uni registration closed <laughs> and before, like, it was going to be, like, a process to yeah, switch. Yeah, like, yeah. You, it was still quite easy to switch. So, yeah, someone just said that. I was like, yeah, you know, the OT was cool. And I just did it. I was like, oh, let me consider it. This is all a very hectic couple of five minutes. Yeah. And did like the Google 
what is OT emoji? search? Where can OTs work? <laughs> I think it was WebMD came up. Like that was your standard usual. first first yeah. point of call. And I was like, yeah, all right, that's pretty cool. And I just switched on the spot. I was like, yep, my one interaction with an OT was enough. And my teacher parents and teacher family who have seen obviously plenty of OTs in schools, yeah. um, that was enough to to get me over the line. And I and I switched and I think I made it with about 25 minutes to spare and <laughs> haven't looked back. There's so much to so unpack that's my, um, <laughs> So much to unpack, yeah. Yep. Yep. Where to start? Firstly, just <laughs> completely random, but I have this other theory that I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that for whatever reason, OTs and teachers always seem to be really closely tied somehow like yeah i know your wife is a teacher my isn't wife's she? a teacher yeah. i know i've yep. worked out i know i think i got up to about nine now like couples wow. between ot's and teachers yeah yeah uh, and like other people like obviously yourself whose family is yep. full of teachers like there's just something about those two professions whether it's i don't know opposing values or some yeah. sort of symbiotic thing that just seems to always draw those Brings two professions together. together. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I haven't, haven't put too much thought into that part of it yet. I'm still just a standard. It's just, a, a just an acknowledgement. Yeah. 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 Secondly, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Break you back yeah. towards the end of high school. For, for those listening who don't know, HSC is like your sort of end of high school, big exam that gives you sort of ranking scores that they use to then – assess your uni applications so it yeah. works slightly differently to the states um in my opinion it's probably a lot easier here uh <laughs> it's a lot simpler process but uh yeah, so yeah. you broke your back but you said two weeks before your hsc two weeks yeah so i would imagine yeah. that would have uh thrown a bit of a spanner in any sort of study or anything to be honest no it it actually made me study more because i was in that like oh school's finished like let's party let's go out let's let's jump off waterfalls not let's jump off waterfalls yeah (laughs) but then i was i was bed bound and i had a lot of my friends visiting and they were obviously in study mode because they were responsible so they would bring study notes to me and it was i actually think it made me do better i think if i didn't if i wasn't forced into my bed two weeks before i would have not as done well in my exams definitely making lemonade right there yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because I would imagine, I don't know, I mean, HSC scores, is, in Australia it's slightly different in each state. We have, it's the same process, but like we don't call it HSC out here up in Queensland. I don't even know what they call it now. It used to be QTAC yep. uh, or QCS, it used to be QCS. Um, but it's the same process, you get ranked, you get a score. Um, whereabouts to like get into OT down there, roughly on the scale. I know up here it's about, like two thirds up the sort of ranking that you need to get yeah. in, so you, which is two thirds up the numbers, but that's probably in the top sort of twenty five percent of high school graduates to, in order to get. Yeah, in. it was pretty high. I think it, the ATAR you needed was eighty three. Yeah, which is like a pretty decent one. But then I had like bonus points, like five bonus points for being in the area of the uni I went to, and yep. then I had another five bonus points for doing sport and stuff. So. I really only needed like a 70 or something. So it wasn't impossible. And I was lucky my ranks from throughout the year were pretty good. So it didn't really matter if I did like not as good in my exam. So I wasn't too stressed. But And I wasn't even worried anyway because I like at that point still only had like I had my early entry into exercise science anyway. So I didn't really care. 
I was in. Didn't know about OT then. <laughs> so were you playing sport or like where did the interest in exercise science come from initially? Were you into sports and stuff growing up? Yeah, always been into sports. Um, I've got four older brothers, so they've obviously play a heap of sport and I've always been around their sport. I played pretty much every sport. <laughs> Netball was the main sport and then yep. I got in, into a bit of footy, a bit of AFL, a bit of cricket, just played everything. So just always liked Sport, always had injuries, so always was seeing a physio health or an exoscientist. Yeah. <laughs> a health professional, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, always been around sport. So I'm, I'm, one thing I'm noticing, or I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because this seems yeah. to be very different to everyone else I've ever spoken with. You seem to have absolutely no trouble in, on a dime, doing a complete pivot. So, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> So you've Absolutely. Gone, like, That's how my family would explain to me. Yeah. There's two things that I've noticed so far is one, obviously changing to OT with what you say, 25 minutes to spare in the window yeah. to actually just put the paperwork in. But also yeah. for people that don't know, like Wollongong's near the coast. Yeah. I'm assuming, yeah. and I've only been there a couple of times, but when I was there, it, there's a lot of sort of surfy people mm. and that sort of yeah. beach culture. And now you are working in the middle of the desert, essentially, out in the outback yeah. in the middle yeah. of nowhere. I saw you put a post up today saying that there were, you were 300 kilometres from the nearest KFC. Which is tragic, mind you. Like, that's <laughs> so hard for me to cope with. I love KFC. Which is, uh, for our American friends, about 220 miles or so away from a KFC, yeah. which I guess if you really like KFC, that's, that's a long it's way. It's really hard. Yeah. So... And that, I mean, from why, because I've been following you for a little while on, on Instagram, that, again, seemed to happen on a dime. You've just pivoted yeah. and gone. I'm leaving this beach, like, really, like, gorgeous views uh, down there yeah. of the coast and everything around Wollongong, and you've gone literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. When you put it like that, it sounds um a bit irrational, but... Yeah, I guess I just, I've always been, yeah, maybe. I just, if I get an idea in my mind, I just sort of do it. Like even the podcast, like I just sort of thought of that one afternoon and then I bought a microphone an hour later and <laughs> made my logo 20 <laughs> minutes after that. Like it, I, yeah, I've always been very, my family say that they make me nervous because I make them nervous because they don't know where don't know I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> I like life that way. It keeps it interesting. So this is obviously, uh, given that your family are aware of a, a fairly uh, well-embedded pattern of yours of being rather spontaneous in what you do. Yeah, yeah, very true. Do you feel like, have you ever felt, obviously it's served you well up until this point, you're mm. doing things quite successfully and you've you know, finished your degree and you're working, you obviously recovered from your back injury. Um, <laughs> you feel like... Like I was saying before, that that's something I don't see a lot of OTs like having that kind of personality. Do you feel like that sort of yeah. sets you apart? Do you feel like you uh, are a bit different to the majority of OTs that you've met or maybe the people that you went to uni with and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just given like I've only been graduated 12 months and I've already done so many different areas mm. of OT. Like I, I, I love pediatrics, but I just really can't quite decide what – you know, I want to, I've, I've worked in, even when I was an AHA, like I've worked in different locations. This is like my fourth location. 
I've been in. Um, I, I'm still with the same company that I was on the coast. We just have an office out here. So I haven't, I'm not just flooding from companies here to yeah, here, yeah. but I, yeah, I, I definitely like to give everything a go and say that I've tried it. Like you don't know if you're going to love something unless you try it. So yeah, I think it, it helps me with, yeah, just trying new things. It also, I think it can be a bit of a downfall as well. Like I probably should find something and lock it down and stay in the one place for a little while, wow. but I th- you know, at my age at this stage, I don't really want to, but I know there'll come a point where I'll probably have to, and that scares me, but we'll just keep riding the waves until until then, and I'll just keep moving around. Yeah, I don't know if you'd have to, per se. Like, you yeah. might find something that you, know, you love that much that you want to, but I don't know if it'll yes. ever come to the point where you, you like, have to for any other reason yeah. than you really want to. True. I'd, I'd love to have my own practice one day. And that, I think that's when I know that, I mean, again, you can move practices around and relocate, but I think I would like to be in the same space, in the one place to open that up and have the one main specialty area. And I just don't know you could have a where mobile, that'll be or what that'll be. And, true. Yeah. That's, mobile that's across thing, the country. <laughs> that's quite a thing nowadays. True. Yeah. True. Especially in rural true. areas. So, yes, very much so. What was I going to say? Um I expect now that you've said that you want to practice like this afternoon, there'll be a post up with a new logo and you'll have it all set I've up I've actually got today. the real estate coming um, just when this is done <laughs> to get me a practice. <laughs> nice. No, nice. not that irrational. <laughs> so where did, so given the fact that you sort of grew up around the Wollongong, I'm assuming you grew up around that area. In Sydney. In I grew Sydney. up in Sydney. So yep. along that yep. sort of stretch of coast uh, on Australia, in Australia, where did the idea for going rural, like really, like I would almost say remote more than rural? Yeah, it's it's remote from? to the outback. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did in my first year, my first ever placement was a rural placement. There was, they sort of said at the start of uni, they were like, everyone has to do a rural placement once. So just keep that in mind. And I was like, oh, well, the first year placement's only two weeks. I might as well just do that. And then I don't have to be away from home as long. So I nominated for my first first observation placement to be rural and I went out to Wagga Wagga. So that's about four hours south of Sydney. It's quite a big town, but it's yeah. rural nonetheless. And it was a pediatric practice and they did a lot of home visits to farms and to the next town over that had no service. And I just got a really quick taste of, of how out there there isn't services. And even though it was only two weeks, like I saw so much and I saw how appreciative people were of what, you know, you offer when you're out rurally. And I sort of just thought, oh, maybe that's just everywhere. Maybe like everywhere was appreciative for OTs. And then I started working like as an AHA in Wollongong, so a pretty metropolitan area. And you just didn't get that same gratitude, that same appreciation that you got from the rural families. And that, yeah, it just sort of started from there. And I ended up doing two more rural placements after that and loved it. And just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I also just love like seeing the country. I just love Australia. And I just, you know, you see more when you're driving an hour to a home visit than 10 minutes to a home visit. And you see places that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. So, yeah, it comes from that as well. And I just love. Love being in the car. Love getting out and about. Well, I think so. How how far? Just so we can give people some context. So you're mm-hmm. in Lightning Ridge, which mm-hmm. I know from a TV show about opals. Outback opal hunters. That's it's right. a hoot. I love that show. Um, yep. How far is that from Sydney? 
So how many hours so, drive would it be from Sydney to, to Lightning Ridge? It's about a, a nine-hour drive as the crow flies. If you, if you stop on the way, it takes around 10 to 11. So you're, looking at, a, want... you're looking at a full day to get out It's there. a full day. Oh, yeah. It's a full day. Yeah, absolutely. driving too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's kind of northwest of Sydney. So you're still probably eight hours or so from the, like from the nearest coast from the coast yeah yeah it's right on the queensland border too so you're pretty much like visualizing it on a map it's yeah. pretty much in the middle of nowhere so you're about let's say about eight hours west of the gold coast essentially yeah yep if people yep. i'm just trying to think of places that people who aren't from australia might have seen on a map or know yeah yeah gold so, coast is probably a common one and how close, so Lightning Ridge is obviously, what's the population of Lightning Ridge, do you reckon, oh, about? No one really knows. It's a pretty flighty place. There's a, <laughs> it's the joke of the town that the population sign on the front entry has got a question mark because people just go and drop off the face of the earth. Does but I'm going to estimate about, it does, yeah. I can send you a photo if you want. It's hilarious. I'll send you a photo. Yeah, it's very funny. That's awesome. Because people just come and like they're chasing opal and they don't want anyone to know they're here. And yep. But let's let's approximate probably like 1,500. Okay. I would say. So that's yeah. quite small. And it's yeah. it is seem yeah. it does seem to be spread like it's not like everyone's in the sort of same three streets. It's kind of spread out a bit. It's spread out the and there's a lot of like opal mines sort of and yeah. And then you get like big farming properties the further out you go. It's pretty spread out, yeah. So that's where you're based out of. So with your work, how much area would your sort of I guess you, most people would call it a catchment, but how what sort of area would you cover work-wise? At the moment, majority of my work is in Lightning Ridge. We're, okay. pretty, we're pretty bang up and it's crazy to think there's not that many people in town, yeah. but there's plenty of work for us. And we also cover, oh, it's probably about an hour, an hour out is the most we go. There's a few little towns, um, Gaduga, Walgut, Colorado Bri, which no one will know any of these places <laughs> unless you're sort of from there. But, yeah, it's a like lot, of, lot smaller towns. speaking another language. <laughs> what are those words? <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a little bit of work out there, but um, it's mainly through like the Aboriginal medical services. They've got little setups everywhere, so we contract through them and, and do some stuff through them. Okay. And then every now and then you get a NGIS private referral that comes through. And but yeah, quite a lot of work in Lightning Ridge. My so, my books have just closed. What? Oh wow! So yeah. what sort of like what health service is it? Like what? How many health professionals? What health professionals are there? Sort of. Lightning Ridge at the moment, just you. So we've got uh, an OT. I'm the only OT for yep. about 300 kilometres. There's no one else. And there is a speechy and a psych and a physio. So there's one of each profession in our little private practice. And they've got a little uh, multi-purpose hospital sort of situation that has um, a GP that's also the doctor and a few nurses and a great ambulance station. So yep. there's sort of one of everything. So you just kind if of. You want more of your specialized things, you've got to obviously go to the next major town. But yep. it's sort of one of everything. Everyone can get by. How far away is the next major town? It is that four the, hour drive. Where the KFC is. Yes, that's where the KFC <laughs> is. It's, the, it's Dubbo. So Dubbo, if anyone knows Dubbo, is quite a big rural catchment for a lot of places. It's quite the central place for a lot, a lot of small towns out west. So what you heard, so I don't know if that model's sort of similar to other countries. I mean, obviously Australia is a lot bigger than a lot of countries and also a lot sparser population-wise than a lot of countries. But in general, 
how it is in Queensland anyway, and it sounds like it's very similar in New South Wales, is you'll have obviously your metropolitan centres down in New South Wales at Sydney um, and obviously Canberra, and that's close by as well. Up in Queensland, it's sort of Brisbane, Gold Coast, that southeast Queensland area. Then you'll have sort of regional centres where it'll be sort of, you know, smaller cities, big towns where you'll have a lot more, like bigger hospitals, which is where I'm based at the moment in, in one of those. Uh, and then from it, from there, uh, they have the sort of more regional and remote health services, which will include smaller hospitals. Sometimes some towns may only have a GP service. They might not have an actual hospital itself. But then, like you said, um, people who are outside of what is available by the local health service would then have to travel to sort of I guess up the ladder to the next biggest one, depending on what service they needed. And in some cases, um, you know, for some major surgeries or major treatments, they may have to travel all the way into the the metropolitan centres. So it's one barrier that I think health services all over Australia face is just how far everything is away from each other and how, how spread out the population is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what sort of uh, population are you working with at the moment? You obviously you've said your books are closed and you've got a lot of work going on. So what population yeah. are you servicing? Uh, primarily pediatrics. I love kids. Uh, yeah, NDIS, pediatric, a um, lot of autism, a lot of um, Down syndrome, developmental delays. There's a lot of trauma out here. Um, so you've got, got a lot of mental health in it too. But, yeah, mainly pediatrics. Um, the rough every now and then a couple of like functional capacity assessments will come through. So for the older generation, tiny bit of home mods, tiny bit of equipment. Um, and then we do, we contract to an aged care home as well. And I do a bit of pain management, a bit of massage, functional retraining, um, for the nursing home, which I really, really enjoy. Very different to anything I've done before. And I can go one day I'm seeing two year olds and then the next day I'm seeing 98 year olds. So it's really diverse, but I think that's what's so good about rural practice is you literally get to do everything. If if they won't if they don't see me, they don't see anyone. So yeah. you, everything comes through the door, and you you get to try your hand at everything, and I, I love it. It's, it's great. I think that's one of the big differences. And again, I don't know if other countries have this sort of uh, kind of work available to them. In that you see in those rural areas, if you're the only OT, like you see everything. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I know in Queensland they're they're often referred to as what they call like a rural generalist, in that you need to know a bit of absolutely everything because everything, you're in that rural yeah. area. So you could be doing yeah. everything from, like you said, mental health care to wound care to pediatrics to you know equipment prescription, like everything mm. Uh, mm. within the one day. Sometimes depending yeah. on what's coming through the door, uh, and I feel like I'm sure it does happen in some. Uh, other countries. I don't know of any major health services, like major, um, it's like the states, Canada, that sort of stuff, that have mm. maybe as many rural generalists as we do here in Australia. But it's it's definitely something that is. I think in, I feel like it's becoming increasingly common here as mm. we realise that hey, there's a lot of people out in those areas that just aren't getting services because previously it used to be an outreach yeah. model where. And it still is in some places where someone from those bigger centres would go out 
once every few weeks and sort of have a, put on a clinic in each of the smaller towns, whereas that's, I don't know, even just on paper to me that doesn't seem to work as well as it does well, that's how having someone. That's how I started coming out west. The company I work for, like on the coast, they do outreach clinics. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll dabble in it for a little bit and, and go out every now and then. And I just, that's when you really see what is lacking out in those areas. And yes, an outreach clinic is better than nothing, but mm. it, you don't make the same progress that you would if you're there consistently. So yeah, where the company I work for is still running that outreach sort of model, but more of just a way to sort of entice employees to like have a little taste of it and see what it's like and hopefully commit to going out there permanently. So they do they are they looking at say putting uh, like a service like the one you're working in in other sort of remote areas as well? Not at this stage. My boss is actually from the town that I like in Lightning Ridge. So okay. he he grew up here. So that's where his sort of motivation came from is he grew up with the lack of services. Yep. And it's sort of just usually skimmed over this town and that happens quite often. Like one town will get something but the next town over won't. So that's sort of what has happened here. So that was his main motivation is just getting something for his hometown and his family. And that's what he's done really successfully. So I think he's pretty content with that now. He's got his coastal business and he's got his outback business and yep. we all just fluff in between. It's pretty good. No, because I've heard, so there's a, another town north of you in the, on the Queensland side, St George, and I've heard, they've, uh, I've heard of a similar uh, model being used there except essentially all they did was move their outreach services to be based out of St. George. So yeah, they okay. would be based in St. George, but then they, I think they, they were covering like, I think about 300 kilometres in every direction from there, obviously not, yeah. not over the border, but um, like a, a wide area, but they were sort of being based in a more, and I suspect St. George is probably slightly bigger than Lightning Ridge. Um, a little bit. But yeah, they were, they were moving some of those remote... Uh, outreach services closer to the people that actually were utilizing them so it wasn't like i know here um where i am the the actual health service area is, is massive like it's fairly sure the the townsville district is possibly the biggest health service district in queensland um like yeah. it, go, it goes all the way to the north the northern territory border from the coast yeah, well, okay. Um, I might be wrong. There might be one other, but it's massive anyway. Really um, big, yeah. Which is, for context, it take you 10 hours to drive from here to Mount Isa, and that's not even quite on the border. So you've got... Mount Isa's in the same district as yeah. Townsville? Yeah. Wow, that's hectic. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So, but it's, we're still operating on very much of an outreach. So, like, I know the people from Townsville that, like, Mount Isa have the health service and they do a lot of outreach. Townsville does a lot of outreach. Um, we've got some uh, islands off the coast as well that, that get serviced by our health district. So, like, Thursday Island, um, that sort of oh, Palm Island, sorry, not Thursday Island. Um, and they're, they're mostly, there are some health services based on the island, but for sort of psychiatrists and OTs and that sort of stuff, they're outreach. So they might see, you know, one of those health professionals once a month if they're, mm. if they're lucky, if they can get in. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the issue for a lot of those outreach models is, one, is I can't see it being cheaper to get that way. 
because it, it would cost so much money just in travel and transport and mm. that sort of thing. But then, like you were alluding to, it, it's hard to get people that are willing to and actually genuinely want to go and work and, and, and live in those really remote places because it's yeah. – it's, I don't know, it's, you know better than me and you can explain, but it's, it would impact every aspect of your life, not just your job. Yeah, yeah. I think there's that, and that's part of the thing I sort of get into on the podcast is there's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about working rurally. Like from my experience, rural employers are way more flexible. Like I get a week off every month to go back home because they know like the impact being so remote from your family has and like I wouldn't get a week off if I worked in in the city like it's and even just like housing and and the cost of living like it's just so much cheaper than I don't think I'd ever be able to move back to a city now that I've experienced life out here and how much cheaper it is just like general day-to-day stuff but yeah I think that there is a lot of misconceptions about how like isolating it is there's so many working professionals in towns like this that are here teachers and nurses and police officers here to get their points and like I've made friends here that like incredible friends and the idea of it on paper is quite isolating and and once you're out here it's just not like that at all like it's a blast and yeah it's it's just not what you would expect it to be i would feel like if if you had other people that you'd met in an area like you're in people would probably band together a bit more and be a bit closer than for like, sure. say like your workmates if you're working in Sydney or something like that. Yeah. Where for sure. you go to work, you chat to them, small talk, you go home and you pretty much forget about them until the next day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well I actually I live with the speechy that I work with. So we work together, we come home together, we there's not a gym here, so we exercise in our garage together. Like, and it's just great that we obviously get along so well. But, yeah, you sort of, no matter what you do, you're immersed with the same people every day. So you get to know everyone really well, which is great. I love it. I think one of the issues too, and I'm coming from this uh, from the perspective of I work at a uni, so these are the things that we're trying to overcome from a uni perspective, mm. is retention rates in the, those areas, yeah. which um, due to a number of factors that you've just alluded to with regards to being away from home and being really remote and you know not having those creature comfort services like gyms and KFC and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, like, have you seen uh, re- retention issues in Lightning Ridge in particular just because you, you're there? I know obviously there's, there's well documented that rural retention is, is quite low for a lot of health professionals, not just OTs. Yeah. But- have you observed that or is has that sort of camaraderie I've that you've had? I've actually observed the off, the opposite, okay. um, which is, yeah, so the the just as an example, like the speechy I work with, she was coming here for six months and she's been here for three years because she just loves it so much. Yeah, and same with myself. Like I was originally only going to be here for six months and now I am don't really have a leave date at this stage. <laughs> Still late. So yeah. I just, yeah, I'm plotting on for another, another six months and we'll see how I go after that. But, yeah, I... I see why people want to sort of go back. But even I know when I when I leave, I'll still be connected in some way just because I have enjoyed it so much. So whether I go back to doing outreach, um, I, yeah, I also am very lucky I work for a very good company and I think it's worth acknowledging that there are some companies out there that probably don't treat their staff as well as what I get treated. I'm really lucky and I, yeah, totally acknowledge that. 
And I think, yeah, if I if I wasn't working for a supportive supportive workplace that gave me the perks that I have, I probably wouldn't have made the decision to come out here in the first place. So yeah, that's that's a hard part of it too, especially with privatization privatization of businesses and yeah. it yeah, people can do what they want and set whatever expectations that they want. And that definitely impacts retention. But even like out here with with doctors, like we've got a new doctor out here every four months because they come and they just, it's too remote for them. So they, they go and you see that impact. Like obviously a doctor's service is more crucial than an OT service, but you see the impact that has on the community when they've got to get to know a new doctor and they can't, they've not got that relationship because there's another doctor coming and you finally like the doctor you've got and then he's left and there's a new one. So uh, yeah, you see not just with OT, but with all health services, you definitely see the impact that the low retention has, which is, I guess, helps with my motivation to stay a little longer. Yeah, and like so, I where I grew up as a kid, I think it was about six thousand people at the time. Um, so like I'm quite familiar with towns and how small towns Mm. operate, and and that's exactly what happens. In that is, if there's turnover of staff due to retention or due to whatever the the issue is, one the first thing is the whole town will know about it within about thirty (laughs) five seconds. Very uh, true. <laughs> the, the gossip train in a small town is is it's a bullet train. It's rather rapid. Oh yeah. But then, like yeah. you said, like there's it's almost like a community trust um, with regards to health professionals and the community in those smaller areas, where one small stuff up from any health professional. Again, same same gossip train everyone's going to know about it. Mm, um, absolutely. And likewise, any sort of positive interactions that you can have with any community, any community members, everyone's going to know about it. So I think especially in those initial stages, that's not something you generally need to take into account in a, in a large city because um, you'll work with people if you make a mistake or if you they perceive you as not being 100% meeting their needs or whatever, it's like, okay, cool, look, there's a 1,000 other OTs, you can see someone else or or you yeah. they, they leave your service and you never hear from them or see them again. I don't think a lot of people, if they move from a, a bigger area into those small towns, if they're not from a small town, it's hard to mm. understand that that's how the, commun- like the community as a whole is something that you're trying to build rapport with, not just the Absolutely. individual that you're working with. Yeah, is that something? Absolutely. Is it, how did how did you do that? Do you have any I think, conscious things that you tried in order to make sure that you were, uh, I guess, staying on the good side of the community as a whole? Or? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think it's just every every opportunity you have in town is a rapport building moment. Mm-hmm. And there's even when you get a coffee, like people see my work, my shirt, and they're like, "Oh, what are you? Who are you? Like, where's that come from?" Um, so, oh God, I've just turned my music on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you can't hear that. I just no. touched my headphones yeah. and, and my music came on. That was very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, any, any point in town, like you've always got to present yourself well and little conversations, you know, I had a conversation with a lady one time at, at the coffee shop and she asking about what I did. And, and then four months later, she became one of my clients. She was like, oh, I really, you know, I realized my grandson needed your needed your support and we went and got him an NDIS plan and now I want you to see him. And if I hadn't had that conversation with her, 
at the coffee shop or if she had have not gotten the right vibe off me, yep. um, you know, that probably never would have eventuated and this child never would have got a service. So yeah. every, it's sort of like a ripple effect. Every conversation you have, it's sort of, yeah, one person will find out about it and then all of a sudden you've got 20 emails for another referral and yeah, definitely. Everything's definitely connected. I think it's just, just being conscious of how you present yourself out in town and, and always, always walk around with a smile on my face and have a chat with anyone who wants to chat because you never know who they know or, or when they're going to become your client. They'll know everyone. It'll yeah, be, it'll be, if it's anywhere, if it's anything like uh, sort of the place where I grew up, it'll be one of those places where if you aren't from there and you walk into the pub, everything stops and everyone. And they yell, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I iron you up and down and trying to work out who's this person and why are they here? Yeah. What do they want yeah. from us? Kind of thing. Even at the IGA, if you walk into the IGA and they don't know who you are, they're like, mm, "Who's this I, person taking our groceries?" IGA is a supermarket. For Sorry, I agree. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's it tends to be quite a good supermarket, if I'm honest. Generally. It's a great. It's yeah. got everything I need. Um. What other challenges have you found in, in moving out to? Literally the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I bit of a superficial one, but I love the beach. And it's one of my my biggest it's on the top of all my self care list of I've had a rough day, like I want to go sit at the beach. I was gonna say you've got and a Kira Beach poster behind you at the moment. So. I do, yes. Yeah. I've got my shell earrings. Like yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a beach girl <laughs> through and through. And yeah, it's so superficial, but I just the the lack of not being able to go and sit at the beach at the end of a rough day, or even as like a preventative self care thing, like I really noticed that, and I was a bit shocked by it. But okay. you know, it's I just put my ocean sounds on at night and get get my ocean fixed that way. That's awesome. It's, I'm still hearing it, but yeah, that like yeah, that's something I've definitely noticed. And I guess just being away from friends and family, like I'm I am really really close to my friends and family. I, it might not seem like it if you just pick up and move like from the drop of a hat. But yeah, yeah. you know, that social connection with the people that that you love can be can be challenging to be apart. But I guess that was also the best thing about COVID is we all know what Zoom is now. And I Zoom and FaceTime with my friends and family regu- regularly. So I've made up for it that way. But yeah, it's you you do miss out on a lot and and you do even just little things like little dinners during the week and and you know, little catch ups. You see your friends and families having catch ups, and you know you can't be there, and they obviously want you there, but it's not always practical to drive eight hours for a barbecue. So, yeah, this, they're they're the two things. <laughs> not always. I don't think it's ever practical to drive eight hours <laughs> oh, you for never a barbecue. Want to be flash barbecue? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they're they're the two things, the main challenges. So, do you think with those? So. What I'm taking from that is it's more around your how you had things set up in your life and then obviously moving, you couldn't do those same things. Do you think that those two, like even just those two as an example, are they things that you think uh, over time in, in Lightning Ridge that you uh, just essentially tolerate not having until you can get your fix of them or are they things that you eventually will sort of replace with other things that you do have control? I call them coping mechanisms for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, Are they things that you think you'll replace with other things that you do have access to in those rural areas? Yeah, I think so. I think you just learn to, you know, be resourceful and and seek that happiness from from what is, you know, where OTs are very resourceful people. Mm. I now, you know, I love going out fossicking for Opal, which I never would have done if I lived by the coast. So and that's random. my switch off at the end of the day. Yeah, so random. 
it's a noble mining town. Like that's that's what everyone does here. But even like with the the people I've made friends with here, you know, I've they they invite you to their family dinners, so you get that that close connection through other ways. I think if yeah, if it's going to be a long term thing, you just learn to find other ways to get that get that input and 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 get that that I guess yeah. regulation as we call it. But yeah. Well, I guess I'm I'm curious about that mainly because like I know a few people that have you know gone rural and not succeeded in staying for too long. Yeah. Um. And in conversations with them, it always seems to be that they're sort of hanging on to all the things that they had, and obviously don't have access to in in the rural area, and not opening themselves up to things. I guess in the town yeah. that they're in, like you said, there's. You're going from a big town or a city to a very, very small town, but there's still going to be things like your opal hunting that is brand new. Even though, like, the, just because the town's small doesn't mean like there's nothing to do. I guess is what I'm what I'm yeah, getting at. Yeah, yeah, I think it all it all comes down to your perspective. Like, I I feel like I can I can survive off very little. Like, I'd be happy living out of my car and just driving around, which is essentially what I do anyway. But I I always try to find like something really enjoyable in every day and like now we're getting real cliche but I think you know there's there's beauty in wherever you are and and you're either cut out for remote places or you're not I guess and there's nothing wrong if you with that if you're not but I just I just love being out here and and you know whether it's here or whether I go somewhere else remote like I just I really love the more places you get to discover. And, you know, if I don't have the luxuries, that's fine. I'll get back to them when I visit the city in a month's time and, you know, just get my fix. But, yeah, I, I think it's all about your perspective and how how you sort of find happiness in in what, what you have around you, yeah. Do you think there's a way people can know, like obviously if they've never been to a rural area, is there a way or is there something... I guess almost like red flags. Like, is there a way to know whether they're going to be okay in a rural area? Sort of before, like, is there a certain personality trait or a certain sort of mindset that you think better is better suited? Um, just so that people sort of don't get out there. Oh, obviously, in a lot of cases, you're not going to know till you do. But is there sort of yeah. certain people that are better suited? Or certain personality Look, traits that are better suited to, to working in those remote areas? I think people that, that genuinely like like traveling around and and every every friend I have here loves to camp. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's a coincidence or it's people like that are attracted to remote places, but every friend I've made has got a, some sort of camping set up right. and that's how we like to spend our, our spare time. And I think if you're the sort of person that you need a new restaurant every night or you need, you know, you get your hair done every four weeks, whatever it is, that transition might be hard because you really lack those services. Like we've got one pub, one restaurant, one cafe. Like you've got to be happy with with the simple things. Yeah. But, yeah, I think people that genuinely, like I've always loved travelling around, I've always loved camping and stuff like that, and that's everyone else here seems to like that as well. So I think that's a common personality trait, but I also think people would surprise themselves. Like there's definitely people here that have come out, like a lot of teachers, they come out just to get their points up before they move back into into town and probably never expected to be here too long. And now they're they're not going anywhere. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, it is one of those things like maybe there is a certain personality suited or maybe there's, you just got to try it and you, if you don't like it, 
go back. It's okay. Yeah. The only the only sort of I guess trait that I could possibly think, and it kind of comes down to those people that like travel as, uh, anyway, um, is people that are adaptable to change. Uh, like sure. If you're not very adaptable to change, then it's not saying that you definitely shouldn't try it, but you might find it more difficult than 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 some other people. And I think based on the people that I've spoken with who've been out and like, I've also spoken to spoke. I also know people um, that have uh, gone out to a rural remote place for six months and are still there 10 years later, Mel. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's pretty common out here. Like people yeah. that, that didn't think they'd be out here long and yeah. So uh, the only, yeah, that adaptability to change is the only sort of thing I can think think of that might sort of give people an inkling about whether or not they're gonna they're gonna cope but then again if you're not overly adaptable to change you're gonna struggle with any change so you should be pretty aware that that is that is you if it is yeah yeah and I, like I've chat, chatted with friends at uni and I've got a few that are like oh maybe one day like tell us more about it and I've got other friends that are flat out like no nah. <laughs> I'll never do that. So I think people sort of know pretty early on, yeah. like whether it's something they might explore or not. But it's so, not for everyone. So but given your love of camping, how are you going? Not having an engine in your car? <sighs> Here it is. I was waiting for it. Well, funny you should say that. My car might be finished as of three days from from right now. Get fingers crossed, and I might be camping next week. So. I, okay. that's, that's one thing that I've, I've definitely missed, but that's, that's not a, a location thing. That's a, um, that's a, my car blew up thing. <laughs> <laughs> but how, like, obviously your, your coping mechanisms and that sort of stuff are, are limited in a, a more rural area. And that being, like you mentioned, like a big one for you is being able to travel mm. and camp. How have you gone? How, how, I don't know how long it's been, like six weeks, a bit longer, maybe. Almost yeah. two months. Yeah. Almost two yep. months. Like how have you gone? Uh, managing without that, having that available to you. Like it's sort of one less thing that you would normally it's, have access to. Yeah, it's honestly been, uh, it's affected me more than I sort of thought it was going to. Like uh, one of the main things I was excited for coming out here was to go even further west and I'm not going to go from yeah. from obviously the coast. And, I, you know, it's one of those things I just, I was upset when it first happened and I guess just changed my perspective as literally nothing that I could have done to control it. As you know, I had just come back from a really big trip, like up to the tip of Australia. And I was just thankful that it didn't happen on that trip. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I drove like 3000 kilometers by myself once my partner flew away. Um, Yeah. It could happen then. And it it didn't. So I just shifted my perspective that way, that it was very lucky it didn't happen then. And I knew it was going to get fixed and I knew it's only a matter of time before I'm back, back doing what I like doing. And just try to focus on on that and and not focus on the lack of camping I was missing out on. Well, well done on not coming to tears over that. I know that was something we spoke about before that that was the soft spot. Yes, thank you. I was being strong. I was clenching my fist under That's the right. table. <laughs> God damn! Why did he ask me that? Why did he bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's it is what it is. Look, well, like I said, three days and then you'll have that back in your life. And I can imagine, like uh, I was speaking, speaking to you earlier in the week, like I'm doing a, a rather large road trip the opposite direction to what you did um, mm. and maybe passing through Lightning Ridge at some point during that trip. And, and that's one of the things that I, I, I guess we share is that I love that sort of rural landscape 
and just exploring. There's there's a lot of history in those old places. Like, how yeah. did 1,500 people all of a sudden find themselves living in the middle of nowhere? Like, how did this town come about? Like, that's the sort of stuff. How did they first find out there was opal in the ground? Yeah, that's what who, I always know. Who, who dug 20 metres into through the ground? the desert and, and goes, yeah, there's opal here. Like, how does that happen? Like, stuff like that is, like, I love that that kind of history stuff. So I'm very much we'll looking forward to, to that, that side of that trip. But again, like, if I couldn't access my car for some reason for a couple of months, I think I would also be very sad because that's, yes. that's a, a coping mechanism for myself that I utilize quite regularly as well. Yeah. I think it's just made me appreciate it more too, though. Like, so made me appreciate the, the car setup I have and the ability to camp and, and it's made me more excited to go. So not that I didn't appreciate it before, but Even you know what they say, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. That's and right. It was gone. And- you can't appreciate the sun's rise without the night time or something, I don't know, something like that. Oh, that's a nice one. Uh, I may have just made that up. I haven't heard I'm that sure there's something like that out there. It was poetic. It's, I loved it. I, know, I, I picked I'll up what you were putting down. I'll claim it. We're wrong with that. <laughs> so you also have a podcast. I do have a podcast, yes. How did you, and as far as I know, you're one of very few Australian OTs in the podcast. I think we found one other, which is Rihanna. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, there may be others, and if there is, I apologize. I just can't think of any right now. I think there's one other that's popped. An enabled OT. They're another one that oh, okay. popped up not long one. ago. Yeah. There's been a couple of, of student ones come and go around the time, but yeah, there's, there's at the present, they're the only one, only couple I am, I'm aware of. Mm. So when I first, because I think I. F- saw you come up on Instagram before you released the first episode and I was like, oh, yeah. finally, another like, Australian <laughs> another accent. Yeah. <laughs> How did, uh, like, why? Why did you do, why did you start a podcast? I th- there's not, like, a really deep meaning. Like, there's not, uh, it's not something I've always thought about. Like, I I think just because my, in my, all my driving and uh, I've listened to pretty much every episode of yours and every episode of the OT Lifestyle Movement, and found that I related most to an Australian-based podcast. There's obviously some incredible American ones and Canadian ones, and I just found the the disconnect between, like, our uni and their uni and our services and their services um, just found, like, very different. there wasn't that content that I was, like, really relating to. Yep. And I think I just had, like, I had a pretty average uni time. Like, if you've listened to the episodes, like, I've failed a few assignments and and units and I just found that really tricky and there wasn't really anything resourceful for that like the services from the uni were I guess lacking and I just thought you know there was a bit of stigma around it and that was my main thing is just making students realize that you know it really doesn't matter how you do uni and how long it takes you if you fail obviously we don't want people failing but Mm. like if you do fail it's okay Mm. and you will be an OT and you will be a good OT and that was something I really struggled with during uni is oh if I can't pass neuroanatomy how could I possibly be an OT and now I'm graduating and working and I you know the content's there but it's not really as important as it was stressed to me and yeah I just think that that's something I really struggled with and I just think if I could find one student who's in that epiphany of stage that I was in when I was going through my really rough time at uni and just, you know, reassure them it's okay, you'll get there, yeah. don't worry. That, you know, that was the main sort of presence I wanted to have for the students and I guess as well with the rural stuff as well. I'm very passionate about rural health and want to entice as many people even to just consider it or even if it's just a student doing a placement. 
it's one of those things that, you know, if you don't hear people talking about it, you won't really give it a second thought. And yeah, I just, I see the impact that a lack of OTs and any health services have on the rural communities. And if I could, yeah, convince one person to consider a rural opportunity, that would be a job well done and I'd be satisfied. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. similar to like when I first started this, like I was like, if one person listens and gets something out of it, then that's enough. Obviously a couple yeah. of people have listened now, but yeah, I was happy with one. <laughs> Just a couple. Just a couple. But um, <laughs> no, that's awesome. So you, you, you didn't yeah. start it until after you'd finished uni. Is that right? When did you start it? No, with? yeah. So I was yeah. four months out of uni. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's, but it's, is it specifically targeting sort of students and new grads? Yes, definitely students and new grads. Um, I I don't think I have enough clinical knowledge to be like a, a clinical podcast and sort of give my clinical opinions. I think I'm just, I've do done a lot of assistant work throughout my degree and I've, I've worked for some really, really good businesses, but I've also heard some stories of, of friends who have worked for some not so good businesses and I've had I've had at least three friends that have left OT just based off how poorly they were treated in their new grad role, and I think it's really important that someone's out there advocating for what what is appropriate in a new grad role and what isn't, and give people the tools that if they're being treated badly, you can do this and you can stand up for yourself, and it doesn't have to be that way. You can change it in the workplace, or you can get another job. And I think people are scared of of quitting jobs and moving on. And so obviously there's a all whole of our students. I'm like, don't be afraid to chop and change in those first few yeah, years. Yeah, absolutely. Like, get as many different experiences as you can. Like it's yeah. People like often go out looking for their dream job. And I tell them, I'm like, you are not going to get your dream job day one. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. And, I, and like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It's, I just think, you know, it's really unfortunate that there are, you know, companies out there that that do take advantage of new grads, but one role that might suit one new grad won't suit another new grad. And I think that whole comparison is very like, oh, if, if that new grad's fine, I should be fine. And then the burnout happens and then no one likes to be burnt out. And I, like, as we touched on earlier, I'm very much a, if I'm not absolutely loving what I'm doing, I'll go and change and I'll do something else. And I try to, I've had this conversation with so many of my friends, like if if you're not loving it, if you're not being treated, if you're going home and you're not enjoying yourself, that's an issue and it shouldn't be like that. Like let's find ourselves jobs that we're happy in and and not, yeah, I just, I, I hate to see people being treated badly in the workplace. So, yeah, that's another another thing I try to advocate for. Yeah, because I think one of the things, like of majority of my career I work with a big state health service, so I was, you know, big company, hired I think there was like 25,000 staff at the health service at that point in time in Queensland Health, Um, like clinician staff. But they, we always had, I guess, almost like a protocols for new grads. Like new grads require this much supervision, this much support with this, can have, you know, this much caseload, blah, blah, blah. Like there was support put in to I guess from a business point of view it was mainly to increase retention but from a Mm. therapist point of view it was like to make sure that they had that better transition but the issue Mm. I always saw with a lot of my friends when I first graduated is that in private practice or anywhere outside of those massive health services those things didn't always exist so a lot of people were sort of left to fend for themselves on terms of Mm. well you know what do I I you don't know what you don't know. So you get out there and they're like, you know, what do you need? And I'm like, fuck's me. I don't know. I don't know. Like I've never yeah. done this before. Like 
just finished yeah. uni a couple months ago. I don't know what I need. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. hug? I don't know. Like... <laughs> Someone to wipe my tears? Yeah. Like, tissues. Which I think is like the, the good thing about, like it's the good thing and the bad thing about private practice. Like I, I really like private practice mm. and I really like working for smaller companies, but there isn't, there isn't regulation, you know, they can really do what they want and they can set whatever expectations they want. And I guess it depends on who's the driving force behind that and what decisions they want to make. And I totally, and I acknowledge this in the podcast as well, like there's reasons why businesses have expectations and there's like, you know, you need to pay the bills, you need to pay your wage, you need to bring in money. But I think it it just, it goes too far and people just don't know how to advocate for themselves in in those situations. So. What's your your obviously you you've got goals with reach? Have you got goals for with like topics that you want to cover or that sort of stuff with the podcast or what do you want to yeah, um, build it into? I noticed you've just launched a Facebook group. I do. Did just launch a Facebook group? Yeah, I just want it to be like as an honest as a space as possible. I'm about to start reaching out to people to start interviewing people, which is really exciting. And I just want to, you know, get people's real opinions on what working is like, and and for each different area, each different clinical area, and just help people to make like right decisions in in what area they want to go into. Obviously, we know we can chop and change, but yeah. I think if you have the tools there to make, you know, really well thought out choices, just knowing, hearing from an OT that's worked in hand therapy for two years, whether that's something you want to, you know, look into or yep. work has gone, whatever it is. Like I, I really want to get, you know, as many perspectives yeah, awesome. on things as possible really and idea. just keep sharing people's stories to keep sharing like, you know, really, really successful OTs, what uni was like for them and just get people opening up. I think the more people start being honest about how uni was pretty sucky for a lot of people and a lot of people just scraped through that will help the students now just to relate to it more like, yeah, <laughs> me too. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's, just, yeah. Just help them realize that, you know, everyone struggles and you can be successful if you have a rough time at uni. It's I not think, the end. I think the best, one of my supervisors, I think it was one year when I was in new grad, one of my supervisors told me she was the manager of a, a big team within the health service. Um, her thing was the best students don't always make the best OTs. Uh, mm, yes. Yeah. Like I was open and honest with it. I'm like, these are the topics that I struggled with at uni, and it was things like neuro. And um, for some reason, I sucked at anatomy, but I was like, a, like HDs in physiology. Mainly, I don't know wow. how that works. Uh, physics. <laughs> I, don't know. I was good at physics, but bad at math. I don't even know how yeah, that works. Yeah. Uh, so I was good. I was bad at all the sciences. <laughs> I, I love science. I just hated math. Yeah. I'm like anything I yeah, can uh, practically apply like physics i was all mm. over it no worries at all so that's yeah so i was honest with her i'm like these are the sub the topics that you know i'm i don't think i'm very good at and yeah that's yeah when she was like you know best students don't always make the best ot's like she's had plenty of uh people through her team and and supervised um over the years that didn't perform sort of to a university high standard but who can yeah. who are well, I'm assuming still to this day who were at the time anyway like amazing clinicians yeah uh, and vice versa the other way as well like you can be book smart and have no idea what you're doing when it comes to actually working with people so yeah I, absolutely I, I do I do feel like and maybe it's because they don't know any better at the time but a lot of people put too much uh, 
I don't know, importance on grades on terms of how they're going to turn out as a clinician when it's kind of like your your ATAR is once you're in uni, it yes. doesn't mean shit. Like no. It's a number yeah. that you got in high school and once you're actually in the course and studying, you'll never talk about No one mentions it. I mean, it was an OP school back in the day when I went in and I'm not 100% sure even what I got now. I'm sure I could work it out if I found some paperwork or something floating around the house somewhere. But but you've it erased it from your yeah, memory. It does, it's not like it's important. not relevant. Yeah. It was a snapshot of where you were at, again, ranking based on everyone else in the state at a point mm. in time. And I'm mm. not at that point in time. Well, some might disagree, yeah. but I am not at that point <laughs> in my life anymore of grade 12, yep. end of high school. So I'm glad. Yeah, well, yeah, me too. Very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with, with your uni grads. Like essentially once you get that course, once you get that piece of paper at the end, whatever country you're in, whether that's a bachelor or a master's or a doctorate, whatever it is, you are accredited by the same world body as every other OT that is also a Wofford member. So yeah. you have the same qualification as every other OT. And, like, there's going to be a, a spectrum of, um, I guess, clinical ability within that, obviously. Um, but, again, like, if you put me in a neuro lab, I'm going to suck. You put me in a mental health <laughs> unit and I'm all over it, whereas there's going to be other yeah. people that got that neuro thing down inside and out but will freak out if you put them on a mental health ward. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a matter of finding your space, finding your your thing. Uh, once you're in, which is also like the, the beauty of OT. Yeah, like it's That's it's one of the, the beauty of OT. We, yeah, compared absolutely. to other professions, like especially I always compare it to engineering because I started doing engineering before I went to OT. But like engineering, you pick your specialty partway through, mm. and then you're that. Like that's it. You're a civil engineer, or you're a you know, electrical engineer or like, that's it. That's all you've got. Yeah. You can't like go, oh, I'm sick of this electrical thing. I'm going to go and try civil because you're going back to uni if you want to do you gotta that. Get, yeah. So yeah. that's one yeah. benefit we've got in this profession is because our underpinnings should be the same no matter where we're working, whether we're working in mm. mental health or whether we're working rural generalists or pediatrics or wherever else you can imagine. Mm we have the ability to be able to, to move. And that's something you need to embrace because it's, it's important for you to be able to, like, it's important. It's, it's fine for me to sit here and say it should be the same or you use your underpinnings of your profession in all of those settings. But until you actually go and experience it and go, hey, like, the work that I'm doing with this kid, the, the theoretical side of it is pretty similar to the work I used to do with older people or whatever it is. Yeah. Until you actually yeah. make that connection yourself, it's, it's hard to get your head around it. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, the other thing, um, life skills are really important as an OT, like our own personal life skills. And back onto like the, the a good student isn't always a good OT or vice versa. You know, there, I, there were students that were in my cohort at uni and they were their GPAs were insane, so good. And, you know, they, they did really, really well, HDs in most things, but they weren't working or they weren't, you know, travelling and they weren't, you know, doing things outside of uni and they missed out on all this time of, 
you know, life experiences, which I have, I feel like I've had a lot of life experience mm. for someone so young, which is because I, you know, put eggs in all my baskets when I was at uni and I didn't solely just focus on getting the highest GPA. Could I have applied myself a little bit more? Probably, but I I wouldn't change it because it's made me a really good OT without tuning my own horn. But I think that stuff's really important. And I had a girl message me on Instagram the other day and she was like, oh, I, I, you know, should I should I work? Like, or should I just do OT? And I was like, you should do whatever you want to do for starters. But everything you do is going to like impact your your work as an OT because we are so broad and we are so diverse. Those life skills are so important. That's the other thing. I'd be keen to get your opinion on it because I'm assuming you were working as an OTA while you were at uni or did that happen yeah. afterwards? Yeah. So no, I was at uni, yeah. I've, I've had people ask me before and I couldn't really give them an answer because I never really did it. It wasn't a thing when I was at uni about mm. whether or not, because I know in other courses, say if you're doing law or if you're doing business or whatever, the idea is often floated that you should try and get some, if you're going to, if you have to work while you're at uni, you should try and get something that, sort of is in that field to try and get experience. And I know like when I went to uni, like there wasn't anything like the OTA didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. So yeah. I didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. I did support work, which was about the closest that you could get back could then. Get. Yeah. Do you think on terms of looking at it from a life skills perspective, do you think it's important that people get say part-time work in a field that's equivalent or sort of leaning into OT or do you think just actually having part-time work and gaining just the life skills around that just working in general is is important is is good enough or what do you think how do you think that fits currently I think my my work as an OTA has been instrumental in me being an OT. I, I did a whole episode on it on why I think like the benefit of working as an allied health assistant and uh, yeah, I would encourage all students to find something, even if it's just a couple of hours volunteering. And I don't, I, yeah, I, I mean, work, any work is good, but even just with the NDIS, which for those that aren't familiar, it's like the peak insurance scheme funding scheme that we have like for private like a, patients. It's, it's federal and, insurance for people with disability. So that's where yeah, all their yeah. services are funded from. Yeah, and it's it's in depth. Like, it, there's a lot to it. And Pretty if okay. I like my success as a new grad, I think wouldn't have been near as much as it has been if I didn't have my OTA work. Even though I'm in a supportive workplace, it the the more snippets you can get of it, it's it's the practical skills that you just don't get at uni. And it's yeah. it's like you're on a a year long placement. And I, I loved placements. I really loved that hands on learning, and that's how I learned best. And I just felt like I was constantly learning and constantly getting snippets of of what, you know, what OT was like while I was still at uni, which really helped me in the path that I wanted to go down and just helps build connections. And the more OTs you can meet and the more, you know, other health professionals you can see working and, mm. and doing things differently, extend the network a little bit. I think it's great. So, yeah, I I very much value my work as an OTA and would encourage all to do it. I will put it out there because I know I'm going to get questions or comments about it uh, ota in australia is very different from it is particularly in the states which i think is the main sort of model it's not a, it's not a registered health profession in australia yeah. like it is in the oh, i think it is in the states um and yeah. it's not like i know in the states i'm fairly sure it's an undergrad to be an ota in the in the states like there's an undergrad yeah, in, right. in ota and then you would if you wanted yeah. to be an ot then you would go and do your masters off that um, yeah. 
or like you don't have to any undergrad you can do masters but um it's not there's no university level qualifications for ota in australia um so yeah it's it's slightly it's probably more accessible to get into for our ot students in australia which is is a good thing um yeah and it's not nearly as prominent i think in australia as it is in say the states the states have specific models around um otas working under ot licenses and that sort of stuff we don't have any of that it's it's kind of casual here in a way but um, yeah, yeah it, but on the on the flip side we don't have nearly as many otas compared to ots as they do in the states so yeah. just want to put that out there that we're not saying like everyone in the states if you're in the states and listening like not everyone has to go out and do an ota no, undergrad yeah. first but uh finding some work uh some work would be is better than no work and then obviously the closer you can get to sort of some sort of therapeutic intervention whether that is support work like i did when i was at at uni or something like that um getting some exposure to to people who are experiencing difficulties or um that kind of stuff is going to help some way at least at least if in the at least in giving you some perspective of potentially some of the people you may work with yeah, absolutely. And even just like developing those soft skills of like chatting with people that are in crisis or with disabilities, or I think that's not something that you you learn at uni. It's something that you get better with over time. And and I think of like conversations I had with parents when I was an OTA and think, oh God, they must have thought I was bonkers. And then <laughs> I've been able to refine it, which if, you know, on reflection, that would happen anyway, if I was an OT, but it just gave me a lot more confidence when start. I was graduated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's definitely becoming more prominent. Like when I first started, I was the only OTA on the coast. And now yeah. pretty much most private practices are employing OTAs and enrolling out other health assistant programs, which is really cool to see. So yeah, there's definitely work out there for, for Australian I, students if if they want it. I, I'm constantly surprised by the number of students that I teach that are employed as OTAs now on the, yeah. on the, on the side, which is really yeah. awesome to see that private practices are valuing the skills that the students are developing and being able to help them put them into use sort of before they even get to like, this is like first, second year sometimes in yeah. a four-year course, so That's before awesome, they even man. get to their sort of major placements. So, yeah. um, And the, the good thing in terms of retention that we've seen is a lot of the businesses that are putting students on as OTAs tend to keep them once they graduate. Hire them, yeah. So, yeah. Um, whether that's it's a good recruitment strategy. Yeah, if you are a business in in Australia, yeah. anyway, uh, it's definitely yeah. something that's worth looking into if you're having issues with retention. Um, mm. Be something to look into, but it's it's a win win for for both parties involved. So it yeah, is, no, yeah. Just, and so much fun. I, I do think because we see a lot of students straight out of high school and a lot of them don't have a lot of life experiences and we know like value systems and that sort of stuff they're in that stage of life where they're still exploring those and trying to work out what they what's important to them and, and that sort of stuff yeah. like that. even by the time they're finished that stuff still isn't necessarily cemented down because like our graduates are on average 22 not on average but like the the ones are straight out of high school so 21 22 when they mm. finish it's, they're still exploring <laughs> like yeah so for sure. yeah it's it's there's not a lot of not a lot of them have life experiences that you tend to 
see some of the mature age students that might be looking at a career change or have taken a few years off before going to uni and that sort of stuff that have gone out and traveled or worked or whatever they've done will then be able to they relate a lot of their experiences to the things that they're learning which i think is something that a lot of the straight out of high school students struggle to do because there's just nothing that they've got at that point in time to relate to so having a job even if it's not something that you like i know a lot of students need to work in order to go Mm. to uni but even if it's something that you don't necessarily 100 percent need to do i would recommend it as a a good thing if you don't have that much life experience like the experiences you're going to get in having a job and having to you know, show up on time and do whatever it is that you do at that job, etc., are going to be things that you'll be able to then draw and attach some of your OT learnings to going forward. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah, that, that, that life experience thing is a big one. And obviously, if you end up going rural, you're going to get a whole lot of life experience in a very <laughs> short period of time. Every day is a new life experience out here, that's for sure. There's always something, some teaching and, yeah, awesome. fun. So how long mm. till you uh, debut on uh, Opal Hunters, the TV show? Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll add the link to the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'll send it through. <laughs> I do uh, I do love that show. Oh, I just told my missus, I was watching it the other night, and I told my missus, I'm like, I never put two and two together that Lightning Ridge was where yeah. one of the team, one of the teams, one of the, the miners pairing is from, and I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. I know that place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. then I told her, I'm like, oh, I might go there via there on my road trip back up conference. She was like, if you do, you have to try and find them. I'm like, I'm not going to find them. It's but such a detour. It's, it's such a detour. a detour. I mean, great. Like, it is a t- You know what's a detour? Driving to Cape York. That's a detour. Well, no, that was intentional. That was so my destination. Fair. I'll be being Canberra. Yeah. It's just a slight I think it's thing. great. Like, go for it. But I just, it's... I like. I'd rather drive dirt road than anything else. Like to me, oh, that's me too. Way more interesting. So yeah. And I've already driven down the coast. Why would I drive back up the same road? I've already seen that. You're just skipping about four other roads you could take. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a each of their own. Each of their own. I've got a reason to go to Lightning Ridge. Yeah. Don't have a reason to go to all the places, and that just means I will have to go to those places next time I'm down that way. Fair enough. I think I think it's great. I think I think it's wonderful, but it's just so I'm out of the way. Chasing life experiences. Great. That's what we're all about you here. Can only you never have too many life experiences. Areas. Maybe just stop here and do some OT work while here. We we've got a wait list now. <laughs> I'll come in and do some mental health consorts and great, and then and then chuff off. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in and humoring me and telling us all about your, your rural experience because I think it's something that a lot of OTs don't get to hear about a lot, which is yeah. in Australia particularly, it's, it's, I think it's sad because it's such a massive part of the country and like figuratively, figuratively and literally. Um, mm. And it's such a massive part of that sort of parts of Australian culture from those sort of rural and outback. So absolutely, like everyone needs to at least visit. Go and visit an outback. Go and visit. This is your challenge. (laughs) Once you've heard this, if you're in Australia, this is your challenge. Anywhere within ten hours, go and visit an outback town and say good day. Let's start small. Let's go like two hours. Let's start. start You'd still be in the city after two hours. Jeez. True. 
Very true. Need to put Very some true. put some distance on. Nothing wrong with a bit of distance. There's so much to see. There is. Go and see an emu. <laughs> I always get so excited when I see emus. Me too. The novelty will never wear off of emus. No, especially at the moment. They're, they're all with babies. So there's lots of little babies yeah, they are. at the moment. There are. Awesome. Well, I will. Any Anything else you want to plug? What's your Instagram, Facebook? What's your Facebook group? And how do people get involved with all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so the, the Instagram is Holly the OT, very creative, and then the Facebook group is Holly the OT podcast group. Um, so so very just a, a very, yeah, so creative. I, I was very tired the day I made it, um, but I've got all the links in my um, Instagram bio on the Instagram page with links to the podcasts, links to the Facebook group, and yeah, I just I love hearing from people. So if anyone listens in, just send me a message. I I love to hear it. It's great. I also just want to say like really quickly, thank you to you as well. Like I followed you the day that I made the podcast page on Instagram, and you messaged me straight away, and you were so supportive, and you helped me with my microphone issues. I don't know if you remember that, but my first yeah, episode yeah. was very low quality, and you helped me out. So I just like you could have just not acknowledge that but you've been very helpful so i'm very appreciative of it i I do feel like the ot podcast community is is it's rather small but it is always very supportive and um yeah it's not something i know a lot of people like oh it must be like competition or i'm like i don't even competition like you can listen to anything they want like there's nothing like if someone listens to your show it doesn't mean that they're not going to listen to anyone else's so and exactly yeah anyway so i'm I'm always happy to help and support anyone who wants to start this kind of stuff because i know that it's fucking hard so yeah there's no handbook there's no no. how to start a podcast handbook is there (laughs) no and there's everyone's got different opinions on things and again like i can only give you my opinions but i'm in the i'm fortunate enough to been doing it long enough and especially with equipment i've tried a bit of everything so i i have a little bit of know-how with regards to that kind of stuff so more than happy to help and and it's awesome i i get a lot of comments when i first started this i think it was probably about a year before i actually got a, a a comment that was anything about the actual content and everything was always about my accent so <laughs> If anyone likes Australian accents, go and have a listen to Holly's as well. I've got a very thick Australian accent if anyone wants to hear it. (laughs) Now you've got uh, a male and a female thick Australian accent that you can enjoy in your ear holes. Yep. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to meet everyone. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Holly. That's so good. Thanks so much, Brock. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.